Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. The Church and its Leaders Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, you are God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work is, will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. This is God's word. Good evening. Shamla, thank you so much for reading our passage. Today we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 to 9, and then we'll look at the rest of chapter 3 next week. Let me begin by praying for, for our time together. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word, that you speak to us through it, you, you encourage us through it, you challenge us through it as well. Father, we do pray that you'd help us tonight, uh, give us soft hearts to receive your word. Um, to, to focus, um, to pay attention, and to uh, submit to what you have to say to us, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was six years old, um, I had a teacher at school called Mrs. Thomas. And Mrs. Thomas, I think at times, struggled a bit to, to, uh, to get us to keep quiet in class. And so one day she... She, at the beginning of the class, showed us two dummies. And these dummies were her child's when her child uh, had been younger, a, a baby, of course. And she said, look, if anyone talks today, I'm going to stick this dummy in your mouth. <laughs> and I thought, gosh, okay. Um, anyway, so everyone was quiet for a bit. And suddenly I heard a couple of kids talking. And I thought, oh, what's going to happen? Anyway, she says, hey, sh I said no talking. 
And then I'm thinking, wait, she didn't follow through on her threat. She said, if you talk, I'm going to put a dummy in your mouth. And so I'm there, I'm thinking, Mrs. Thomas is a bluffer. My classmate Nicholas and I, we then start talking. And the teacher, Mrs. Thomas, goes, Daniel Nicholas. And I'm thinking, why on earth is she calling our names? Um, she says, come to the front. We go to the front, and you can imagine what happens. She puts the dummies in our mouths. And to this day, I'm still scarred from that. I still have flashbacks of that. I'm like, she's so unfair. She's so inconsistent. Now, we were there in the classroom, and the kids were giggling. And the reason I wasn't happy with having a dummy in my mouth as a six-year-old is because six-year-olds don't wear dummies. Now, when you're six years old, you want to look older than you are, not younger. When you're an adult, you want to look younger. But when you're a child, you want to look older. The problem with a six-year-old wearing a dummy is that it makes the six-year-old look immature. Now, there's several types of immaturity, aren't there? Um, We can be emotionally immature, we can be mentally immature, we can be physically immature. And of course, we can also be uh, spiritually immature. In today's passage, uh, we find Paul telling the Corinthian Christians that they are spiritually immature. They still have dummies in their mouths, so to speak, even though they're too old for them. And they don't seem to be all that bothered by it. Let's read from from verse 1 to see how Paul describes the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. How does Paul refer to the Corinthians as infants? Although these Christians have been believers for a few few years now, they're not really acting like it. They haven't really matured as Christians. Instead, they're still behaving like spiritual babies. And it's one thing to behave like a spiritual baby when you are still one, but not, not when you're older. It's normal when a five-month-old baby is drinking milk from a baby bottle, but not when a five-year-old child is. It's normal when a five-month-old baby is breastfeeding, but certainly not when a five-year-old child is. It's alarming. It's concerning. It's a sign that something's not quite right. It's a sign that the child hasn't quite matured as they should have. Now, what is the telltale sign of spiritual immaturity? Did you notice it when we read verse 1? Paul tells the Corinthians that they are worldly. The telltale sign of spiritual immaturity is worldliness. If, if you and I want to be able to recognize if we are spiritually immature, we need to, we need to look for evidence of worldliness in our lives. And we need to look for evidence of it in, in the ways we think and behave. So how do we recognize spiritual immaturity? The spiritually immature are worldly. That's our first point. 
Let's read from, from verse 3. And as we do, uh, look out for how the Corinthians are being worldly. Verse 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? How did the worldliness of the Corinthians manifest itself? In their attitude. Instead of living in harmony, they were quarreling with one another. Instead of loving other believers, they were filled with jealousy towards them. Throughout this letter, we're going to discover uh, several further ways in which the worldliness of the Corinthian Christians betrays their spiritual immaturity. We're going to come across it, for example, as we learn in later chapters about their sexual immorality and about their gluttony. But today, I want us to hone in on one particular area in which they are being worldly. They've created factions within the church. So we see that in verse 4. And this is picking up on an idea that Paul had introduced back in chapter 1, verse 12. So in chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, There are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. What's the problem that Paul is highlighting? The church in Corinth has factions. Just to clarify the problem here. Now, the problem isn't that people slightly prefer one preacher over the others. The problem runs much deeper than that. So this isn't like you slightly preferring to hear John Phillips preach than David Rydell preach. It's more like there being a John Phillips fan club on this side of the church and a David Rydell club on this side. And these groups are behaving quite arrogantly towards each other and choosing only to pay attention to the, to the sermons of their favorite preacher and not anyone else's. Now, what is this type of behavior akin to? Paul says it's, it's a behavior that smacks of worldliness. Their behavior is very similar to that of the non-Christians around them. Do you know what the, the secular elites in Corinth do? They form social groups around the philosophers or sophists whom they deem to be most impressive. And this in turn causes rivalries and a competitive spirit to emerge between one group and another. The Corinthian Christians are behaving exactly like the world. And it's not hard to see the issue with their behavior, is it? How healthy is a church like that going to be? It's not exactly going to be a a pleasant community uh, to be a part of, is it? So Paul calls them out. And he lets them know that their worldly behavior reveals their spiritual immaturity. And this is because... There's, there's an inverse correlation between worldliness and spiritual maturity. So the more worldly you are, 
the less spiritually mature you are. And the less worldly you are, the more spiritually mature you are. Now, there's something about the essence of worldliness that Paul is speaking of that we lose in our, in our English translations. So the, the word that has been translated worldly in the NIV, in the Greek, literally means fleshy. Fleshy. And this contrasts with what we learned last week. So, so last week we learned that Christians are those who have the Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But here, Paul is saying that the Christians are being fleshy. In other words, their behavior is not indicative of their having the Spirit. If, if you look at how they're living... It's not very distinguishable from the world. This is why Paul rhetorically asks them in verse 3, are you not acting like mere humans? Paul is saying that their behavior is shocking because they have the Holy Spirit. But you won't be able to, to tell it from looking at their lives. According to Paul, there are only two types of people. Those of the realm of the spirit and those of the realm of the flesh. The problem with the Corinthians is that although in actuality they belong to the realm of the spirit, they're behaving as though they belong to the realm of the flesh. Instead of living according to the spirit, they are living according to the flesh. So Paul rebukes them. Now why is it that they're so fleshy or worldly? Specifically, why, why are they so worldly concerning the way that they've allowed themselves to split into little factions based on which leaders they follow? I think it's partly because, as we'll see in verses 5 to 9, they don't recognize that God is working. The spiritually immature are worldly because they don't recognize that God's at work. What do I mean by that? Have a look at verse 6. I, Paul, planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Why is it so foolish for the Corinthian Christians to create followings around certain leaders? It's because, as Paul says, God is the one who makes things grow. That is, God is the one who grows Christians. The Corinthian Christians seem to think that they'll become spiritually mature by only listening to their favorite teacher. And as a result, they're unwilling to engage with the teaching of others, possibly even scoffing at them. Now, where is their behavior coming from? Just as the, the secular Corinthians believe that they will grow more or less in wisdom depending on which philosopher they're listening to, 
It seems like the Corinthian Christians also think that their progress in spiritual wisdom depends on which Christian leader they're following. Paul says that they're mad to think like that. The the, the wisdom that Paul, Apollos, Peter, and Jesus teach are one and the same. They're not teaching competing philosophies as the secular philosophers do. What is the wisdom that Paul, Apollos, Peter, and Jesus teach? It's the cross. That's what they all teach. So, so why choose, for example, to only listen to Paul and not to Apollos? They're both teaching the same gospel. So the spiritual growth of the Corinthians doesn't depend on whether they're team Paul or team Apollos. It depends on God. He's the one who brings about spiritual growth. And he does it as the cross is proclaimed. Now let's just stop for a moment to think about the implications of this. You and I don't need to be sitting under John Piper's teaching every week or Christopher Ashes or Tim Keller's. We just need to hear the gospel taught faithfully and regularly as the wisdom of the, of the cross or foolishness of the cross is proclaimed God's at work. God's at work. So, so we don't need to rely on this leader or that leader to grow spiritually. We just need leaders who are teaching the gospel. As they do that, God's at work. Those who proclaim the gospel are just servants through whom God works. That's how, that's how Paul describes himself and Apollos in verse 5. They're just servants. In the original, uh, this word for servant is it's the word you'd use for a table waiter. Paul thinks of himself merely as a table waiter. Brothers and sisters, when, when you go to a restaurant and eat a delicious meal, is it primarily thanks to the waiter? No, it's, it's thanks to the chef. The, the waiter is just setting the food in front of you. And that's what Paul does. And to some extent, it's, it's, it's what I and others here at church do when, when we preach. We're bringing you a plate of gospel. We didn't prepare the gospel ourselves. The gospel that we serve is the gospel that God has given All we're doing when we're preaching or teaching is serving you the gospel, that which God has prepared. So we're just dishing up and serving God's gospel, knowing that in his kindness, he will produce spiritual nourishment and growth as we feed on it. Friends, God is at work as his servants teach the gospel. Now, since God works through his servants, how would you expect them to behave? Would you expect them to be in competition with each other? 
Of course not. The Christians in Corinth are trying to pit one leader against the other. So, so Paul has to make them understand that he and Apollos, that they're actually on the same team. Look at verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will, they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. Friends, Paul and Apollos are not in some sort of popularity contest. Paul tells us that they, they are united in purpose. And that they are fellow workers. Imagine asking a couple of football fans at an England match uh, who they want to win. One says, I want Harry Kane to win. Another says, no, I don't want Harry Kane to win. I want Jordan Pickford to win. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't make any sense. Kane and Pickford on the same team. When one wins, both win. When one loses, both lose. It's the same with Paul and Apollos. And it's the same with David Rydell and John Phillips. And with the Andrews, me, and everyone else who preaches here. We're on the same team. We're on team the cross. We know that when the cross is proclaimed, God is at work. So, so do please pray that God will continue to keep us united, knowing that we're all on the same team. Here's a final reason uh, that it's so silly to say, I am team Apollos or I am team Paul. Notice what it says in verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. Instead of saying, I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos, what should the Corinthians be saying? I belong to God. That's who I belong to. Friends, here is something truly worth boasting about. The Corinthians are boasting about all sorts of stuff. They're boasting about which human leader they're following. Why boast about that? That's what the world does. As Christians, we have something far greater to boast about. We belong to God. As Paul has said earlier in this letter, let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord. Folks, because of the cross, you and I can say, I belong to God. The God who will never, the God who will never let us down, the God who will never leave us nor forsake us, the God who has given us righteousness, holiness, and redemption, as Paul says. This is the God we belong to. If we really grasped how amazing it is to belong to him, why on earth would we boast about anything else? By the way, if you're, if you're here and um, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, please know that if, if, if you put your trust in Jesus, you too will be able to say, I belong to God. I belong to God. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He died so that we could become his 
people if we'll put our faith in him. If you haven't yet done that, I hope you will consider doing that. Friends, since we've been thinking about spiritual immaturity today, I just want to say that I know that there are ways in which, like the Corinthian Christians, we are still worldly. Thankfully, at the moment, uh, we don't have factions like they did. Thankfully, as far as I'm aware, um, there isn't an I belong to David Weidel group or an I belong to John Phillips group. Or maybe there are those groups, but because there isn't an I belong to Dan Gomez group, no one's told me. (laughs) And folks, the fact that we don't have factions is something really worth giving God thanks for. There are so many churches out there with factions. So let's thank God for the fact that we are united and, and pray that God will continue to keep us united and to grow us in unity, both as a church and, and in leadership. As, um, as we wrap up, I, I just want to add that although we, we don't have factions, I, I think it's quite possible that uh, we do prefer listening to certain preachers over others. And maybe on a Sunday, we're not as happy when we find out during the service that our favorite preacher uh, isn't going to be preaching. And look, let's be honest, it's, it's not inherently sinful to prefer listening to one preacher uh, over another. But please don't miss out on how God might work through the preaching of someone whose preaching you don't value as highly If if the preacher is faithfully teaching God's word, then trust God to work through it. Trust him to to be at work in you as the gospel is proclaimed. The, The preachers are just servants dishing up God's word for you. On a related note, with the changes that are happening in small and local groups, um, I suspect that some of us uh, might be tempted to think that uh, we'll be worse off if we have this leader and not that one. Uh, We might think that we'll miss out if we we don't have the group leader we really want. So here's something worth remembering. God works through the teaching of the gospel. He's the one not any leader, he's the one who brings about spiritual growth in you. So so we we can trust him to work through any leader who is just faithfully teaching the word. Let's pray. Father, we are all too aware that um, we are still spiritually immature in, in many ways. And uh, this letter in 1 Corinthians will expose that. Father, we do uh, thank you for even here, even though these Corinthian Christians are spiritually immature um, and Paul rebukes them, he still treats them as those who 
um, are his brothers and sisters. It doesn't say they're, they're non-Christians. Um, and so, Father, we pray that we wouldn't be discouraged when we see a challenge in the Bible, but that we would um, repent. So, Father, we do repent of the ways in which we are spiritually immature, we pray, and worldly. We pray that you'd um, expose further areas to us in which we are currently worldly. And we pray that you would cause our hearts to repent. And Father, thank you so much that you work through your word. And so we don't need to rely on one leader over another. We just need to listen to your word. And as we do, you provide spiritual growth in us. So Father, we pray that we would be hungry for your word and feed on it so that we may grow to be those who are spiritually mature, to those who are more and more like Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.